0: Pack your bags and get ready. You're going to Vegas with someone who knows Vegas inside and out. This is Vegas Never Sleeps with Steven Magic, the podcast. Hey. About to meet somebody who is multi talented an actor, a singer, a writer, a director, an independent show producer. This guy has done it all, and you gotta check him out on YouTube. His name is Tim Molyneux. If you've been here and you've seen him, you know what a talent. If you haven't, you gotta go there and look at it. This guy is tremendous. You know, Tim, uh, thank you for being with us today. I saw that you did one of my very favorite characters from the play and then again movie, Guys and Dolls, Nicely, Nicely. Uh, so oh, yeah, <laughs> that
1: was fun. Very fun fun role, yeah.
0: Yeah, and there's that song at the end, you know, sit down, you're rocking the boat. It, it, that, that has yes. to be just a fun song to sing. Oh, it
1: is. It is because uh, maybe he's a little tipsy. We don't know. Maybe he's been drinking. Maybe he should be, but it's just fun. It's a very fun song, and uh, it's, a, it's a great show fun for everybody
0: yeah, it really is well speaking of great shows you were just a part of a fantastic show over at Nevada Room Christmas it was a white Christmas celebration tribute to white Christmas and I gotta know how exciting is it to play that stuff from Irving Berlin because when you when you look at the songs that you guys were singing and that and it changes I understand every week different great performers from around town but Irving Berlin wrote such a Great Christmas stuff that we're still singing. This goes back to the 40s and 50s, and we're still singing these songs.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. He actually wrote uh, the song I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas uh, for a movie in the '19 early 1940. I think it was 42 or 43 for a movie called Holiday Inn. Right. And it actually won the uh, Oscar uh, that year for Best Song. But uh, the movie White Christmas with that song featured in it came out in the 50s, about almost a decade later. Um, but yeah, just incredible uh, songs that are endure, because they're very well done, and people just don't write like that <laughs> that much anymore. Beautiful Wait, lyrics.
0: Do you like singing the, the songs from the Great American Song? Because you know, as much as that song is connected to Bing Crosby, other people have done a great job with that as well.
1: Yes. No, I do love those songs. said, like I said, his melodies and his lyrics are just so, oh, they're powerful, but in a simplistically beautiful way. I mean, songs like "Always I'll Be Loving You," "Always," and uh, "What'll I Do," and some people will say that we're in love. Uh, just fantastic songs. I mean, they're just beautiful. I love singing
0: those. You also produce. You do all. You do everything. You wrote a great production, "Bite." And if people were around in Vegas back, it was at the Stratosphere for what? I think it was like eight years or so. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah, almost almost nine years. Yeah, it ran at the Stratosphere. Uh, I was the. Um, The writer, director, producer of that, and it ran six nights a week, 52 weeks a year. And uh, it was (laughs) fortunately, it was the uh, first and only vampire show in Las Vegas. Kind of surprised that there had not been another vampire show for Vegas. Seems like vampires and Vegas kind of go well together.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and it just seemed like kind of a natural fit. And I know it was one of the most popular shows. You know, Vegas is a weird place in that regard because some shows, like the um, the Four Seasons show, uh, have done real well. Other shows, Broadway productions, just haven't done haven't done well. But Bite certainly was one of the ones that people took to. What do you think it is about Vegas? You think it's uh, people expect more spectacular, or what do you think it is? Well, I think.
1: The success. I think it's one thing to do a show that lasts, or you can sell out for one weekend or one night, or maybe even maybe you're doing a month. But when you're trying to do something that's run every night, six nights a week, 52 weeks a year, there has to be has to be able to be run efficiently. I think as a pro- so now I'm talking like as a producer. So I think some of the great shows that are out there that have have hit. I think one of the reasons why they can't stay open and they, they seem to be popular on Broadway or popular places is that they're so expensive to run. They're not run efficiently. And right. so it costs too much to to keep it going. Uh, so I think that's part of it. Um, I also think that um, there is a, always a place for the big spectacle. You know, in Vegas, you expect some of that big spectacle. But I do think there is a, a big turn, maybe it's because of COVID, maybe because it was coming even without COVID, but there's a turn, I think, where audiences are wanting and needing that, that intimacy between them and the performer. I believe that's how Vegas was started, you know, with the Rat Pack, and you did these supper clubs, and you were right there within a few feet of the singers and the entertainers, and you could feel their energy, and you could see it in their eyes. And so I think there is a, a need and a want for that. Uh, yeah. Today, and I think there's that 's coming back and those kind of shows are are uh inexpensive to produce and I think um uh, there will always be a, a place for that, but people are uh, i think uh heading toward that now and and wanting that.
0: Well, I think that's an interesting look, because if you think about, people remember what Louis Prima and so forth, it was that intimacy of that back room where everybody would go, and you felt like you were part of the band almost, you know, you you were in on the joke. And that's really interesting, and it kind of makes sense, because it kind of fits the whole Vegas vibe, you know, what happens here stays here and all that. Mm -hmm. Well, you want to be a part of things. Yes. One of the things that you do is, Molyneux Entertainment. You've been doing this for 30 yeah. years and this is kind of interesting. I want to get into your brain about this because you know <laughs> okay. not only are you this great performer and people hear you sing and so forth, but you're thinking of the whole part. It's not just the singing you're thinking about. You're thinking about the production, about how you can uh, the marketing of it, the fashion and so forth. Is that yeah. something that you've been interested in since really you got into entertainment? Well, you know,
1: I I, I did the first part of my, I guess, entertainment career. It started when I was five years old, actually. My grandfather was a uh, preacher, a Southern gospel preacher. And he let me sing before his sermons at five years old there. And I, uh, little Timmy, got a big impact from the audience. <laughs> uh, I just happened to be be uh, good at that. And then, um, but that led to singing around town, and I went to school for that. But uh, my dad was a Marine Corps drill sergeant. He was very organized and very structured. And uh, he, uh, I guess I was kind of forced into being a good organizer and putting things together. And while I was in school, I put together my own little shows. Uh, and that led to bigger shows, then halftime shows, then USO shows, then shows for cruise ships, hotels. It just kind of grew. So I was always able to put that big picture, uh, have a big picture, and then put all the little pieces together. To make that big picture happen. And uh, I didn't go to school for that. I didn't, I never set out to be a producer. It happened accidentally out of doing my, just out of, out of necessity. But then I found that I really loved that. I loved being able to work with a great team and putting all the pieces together, all the people together to make a, a vision happen. I really get a joy out of that. And uh, I just happened to be, uh, <laughs> I guess, good at that.
0: Yeah, well, you know, and it's coming from the right family because that's a perfect combination for that because you understand both sides of the game. You understand what you have to do to set all this up, but then you also have to know about delivering the goods. I mean, and I don't know what it is about singing in church at a young age, but I think of Aretha Franklin and so forth. Some great careers were started, Whitney Houston, right? They were started in churches.
1: Absolutely. No, that is true. Because I think it's because, I mean, everyone has their theory, but my theory is that with the gospel music, it's it it's emotional, because you're connected with it. You're not just singing to show the flexibility and the power and the finesse of your voice. You're really connecting with the music, because it means something to you, whether it's by faith or out of fear or, or whatever that may may be. You're feeling it, and people are willing to pay money to have you make them feel. And so when Whitney Houston opened her mouth, she made you feel. Rita Franklin, she makes you feel. And the great singers can make you feel. And usually the people that can do that and make you feel are the ones who have careers for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Uh, the Tony Bennett, you know, I mean, just yeah. uh, you know, still, still doing it. You know, age is, is just a number. So uh, it's because they can get those emotions and those feelings out of people because they themselves, as the entertainers, they are feeling the music. And I think that really comes from uh, that, that uh, background of uh, experiences of gospel and, or religious type of uh, experiences.
0: Well, and then starting at five, are you going to be like a Tony Bennett or like a Mick Jagger? You know, I saw a funny thing. Mick Jagger was on with Dick Cavett when he was like in his 20s. And he goes, hey, you think you'll be doing this when you're 50 and they're laughing? Who knew that not only would he be doing it in his 50s, but he'd be doing it in his 70s and so forth. Yes.
1: Yeah. No, I don't really have a time limit on it. I'm just, I'm having fun doing it. I do, uh, like the singing part of it and putting that together and, uh, uh, connecting like that w- with an audience, with a live audience. I like recording as well, but there's nothing like getting that instant feedback. Uh, even like last night, I uh, uh, was doing the, the show at the Nevada Room, the Christmas show, and one of the songs, uh my daughter was in the audience, and I was able to see her before I started. It was hard for me to finish the song because I just got so emotional and connected with it. And uh yeah, so I don't really have a, a time frame on it, but as long as I'm enjoying it. And,
0: and yeah. uh, people are still
1: wanting to listen, I'm ready to
0: do it. I think people can see that, too. There's there's nothing, you can't hide that, you know. <laughs> Especially when you sing like that. The great singers, we've all felt that. You know, we, we know that each time they're, real, they're really bringing it. You know, in addition to all this, the production, the performing, and so forth, I find this fascinating. You're actually in the technology side as well. You were granted a fifth patent uh, for... Yeah. Reality entertainment. I w- I'm not even going to try to figure that out, but I'm going to ask you, kind of tell us about it because it just seems uh, really incredible. by when I read about it,
1: uh, yes, I currently have uh, five uh, techno entertainment technology patents for virtual and augmented reality. Um, the, my got the idea. Of, I, I filed the patent in 2004, so this was long before, you know, the Google Glass and all the stuff that they're doing now, the VR, the headsets, or anything like that mm-hmm. that they have now. But watching a football game uh, on TV and seeing all the, uh, how the players running down the field, and I don't know if it was you know Madden or whoever on the screen, the announcer, were talking, and they were drawing circles and things on the, on the players as they're going down the field. And I just had the thought, well, if you can do that on a football field, I wonder if you could do that for theater, where if somebody is performing – you can change what you what they're what they're doing what they're wearing where they are their environment or perhaps you can uh see what they see um or can you choose your seat where you want to sit in the theater or uh at the concert or at ringside you know you want to look from the basketball goal you want to be on the 50 yard line or wherever choose all those things as it's happening and so i came up with a a method and a process of how to be able to do that and so uh it's you know you can look it up. It's uh, uh, the virtual reality live customized live entertainment experience. And so- no,
0: it's incredible. So in other words, if I have a, a let's say we we were talking about Jagger. So let's say I love the Rolling Stones. You yeah. know, and I you go see it and stuff. Is this a way like we not only can I see them from sitting right in front or from the back, but also maybe I want to just uh, center in on Keith Richards. I want to see if he really is, looks as old as, as as it seems like he does. Or do I want to just follow Jagger or something like that? Or do I just want to look at the crowd? Can I do that? Is that the type of thing you're talking about? Yes,
1: yes absolutely. And there's there's some apps now that people are using and utilizing, that's, uh, my patents there now, where you can actually do that, where you can pick your seat where you want to sit. Or you can see from the drummer's perspective or the guitar's perspective. Uh, you can see what they see. You can see what the Cirque du Soleil performer sees as he's flying over your head. Um, you know, what Britney Spears sees when she's doing her dancing. Uh, or and you can change their outfits uh, in time. Or you can have lyrics uh, over the, the the performance. As you're watching the live show, you can have the lyrics come in over over the superimposed on top of the of the performance. You can change their environment. You're you're watching uh, Phantom of the Opera, and it's happening uh, in the theater. Somebody else sitting next to you can be watching the same show, and they're watching Phantom, and he's in hell. And then yeah. another one's underwater, another one's in outer space. So you can customize uh, your experience like that.
0: You know what's interesting about that, too, is you think music videos. I've always dislike that only in the sense that somebody else is telling me what to think and how to interpret it. This is really a way where you're not going to necessarily get into the performer's head, but you can at least look at it from different perspectives. Sometimes even to see the reaction of just the audience can really add to what you're uh, watching.
1: Oh, it really does. It really does. Because until this, until this patent came out, and just the history of entertainment no matter what we watched on TV, or now it's our phones, or our devices, or our computers, or our tablets, whatever, we were, uh, it was, what we saw was dictated and controlled by what the producer wants you to see, what the network wants you to see. Right. Uh, and there wasn't an opportunity for you, the customer, the, the, the audience member, the viewer, to see what you wanted to see. So now you've got the power to control. What you see. So it does make a difference. And we're not reliant anymore on what the producer or the director chooses to put to your screen or to your headset or to your goggles or to your computer or your monitor. Yeah. Now you can choose. Now you can choose. Yeah.
0: I always thought it was crazy people to watch esports, but they'll go on Twitch and they'll actually have people commenting on what other people are doing. But I could see this could be an opportunity where. Uh, Somebody could have, even somebody that they really respect could watch something with you and kind of, I mean, there's really no limit to what this kind of technology could lead to.
1: Yeah, not definitely. Facebook's doing that for sure, especially with their metaverse that they're doing now. But uh, they, they do have the thing where you can watch concerts and you can invite your friends, you know, digitally, your um, avatars, you know, they, they call it, but the digital uh, impression of you. Um, they're doing that now. You know, Facebook is uh, is one of the people that are doing that kind of thing. But uh, Sony, Microsoft, other people are doing it as well. But um, it's exciting. It's really
0: exciting. And is that something you're constantly looking at? I mean, as, as you're into this technology, you've got these patents, are you looking ahead? Are you thinking, like, well, where are we going to be in five years? Where are we going to be in ten years?
1: Uh, yes, I do. I do. I, it, it is uh, quite consuming. I mean, uh, I... I it's very, it would be very easy to – that would all that I would be doing is the possibilities, uh, constantly dreaming of and seeing what's out there, following in and trying to be uh, attached to the possibilities. Yes, it, it is endless. It is, it is mind-blowing, um, and I do think it's here even right around the corner, things that we never thought possible are re- re- literally right here at our back door, ready to, ready to come in.
0: It's kind of exciting, and we're going to have to follow you on that. Before we get into how people can know what you're up to and so forth, I want to talk to you about one thing. I know you call yourself a show doctor as well. Is that yes. where they people would hire you and say, okay, you know all these different aspects from the performing side to the production side. How do I fix this, or what do I do to improve it? Is that one of the things you offer your, uh, your services for?
1: Yes, yes. It started almost 20 years ago uh, with CAA, Creative Artists Agency, uh, had one of their artists. That was going to do a showcase, and but they were new. They were a great songwriter, and they were actually had a great voice, but they didn't know anything really about their stage presence or how to perform. So it initially came out of that to work with them on how to interact with the audience and how to interact with the band and how they walk out and uh, the the song choices that they're singing in a in a show, whether it's a 30-minute show, an hour show, the pacing, the segues, the intros, outros. Uh, How to hold a mic. When do you talk about merchandise? How to talk about merchandise? All those kind of things. And then it grew from there to multiple artists to uh, uh, working with um, tours and shows and actually production shows as well.
0: That makes a lot of sense because the business itself has changed, right? I mean, people, oh, yeah. I love to see albums, but we don't see albums the way we, we used to. But merchandising is real important, way more important than it used to be. And touring is. Is that something, too, where people you know, kind of go to you like, okay, I kind of lost track of this a little bit. What do I need to do?
1: Yeah, well, it, it is. Everything has, has shifted and changes. And you have a much more uh, easy ability to connect with your audiences now on ways that you never could. You know, even 10 years ago. and um, But when you talk about merchandise, how you talk about it, what you say, how you do it, uh, it, it makes a difference um, in your sales and, and what your audiences are really wanting. But it comes down to also uh, maintaining your brand promise. Uh, people will follow you no matter what that is, uh, as long as you believe it and, you're, and uh, you are committed to it and you stay consistent to it. But when you start veering off from that, people, they don't like... Uh, change. They they said they fell in love with you because of this, and now you're trying to do that. Some people have, have been successful with it, like the Christina Aguilera and the uh, um, Molly not Molly uh, uh, Cyrus, uh,
0: yeah, Miley, uh, Cyrus. Yeah, Miley
1: Cyrus. Yeah, Miley, yeah, Miley. Uh, Miley. So they're able to change their image and they're and they're shifting, but it's not something easy to do. So uh, uh, that's the kind of stuff that I that I work on is maintaining that brand promise and uh, reaching the the target audience that you're really going after.
0: You know, if people have think that Tim's BSing or something, my suggestion to you is to go and go to YouTube and look up Tim, and what you'll find is these pieces that you do for yourself, to just kind of a sizzle reel, we call them, they're okay. fantastic, and it is great yeah. because you can watch it in five, whatever, five, six, seven minutes. You really get a feel for what you do. And, I mean, that's that strikes me as I've, I've seen a lot of these things in Boy, to get people, especially in our time now where we're so limited in what we can do, that's much more powerful than an old thing. Well, watch an old concert. I don't want to. <laughs> you know?
1: Right, 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 right. They can also go to my, uh, my website, has some of my materials, some of my songwriting and uh, movie scoring and things like that, uh, at timmolyneux.com. Uh, and also, if there's any dates of performances and things, I'll, I, I usually post there as well.
0: Yeah, well, definitely. We'll all go to Molyneux.com and let's spell it for them, Tim.
1: Yes, M as in Michael, O L Y, N as in November, E U X. Uh, Tim Molyneux.com.
0: Wow. And I thought matchy was tough. Okay. Uh, That's a tough one. But it's it's worth the check. We will go there and we'll check out when you're performing next and uh, see all the things. You'll have a lot of fun if you go to the website. Tim, thank thank you you so much. Really had a good time chatting with you.
1: Thank you. I did too. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you very much.
0: cha